Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. It's hard to be thanking God when you end with weeping and gnashing of teeth, isn't it? And yet, this is an important part of the story. So for the last few weeks, we've covered the first servant who received five talents and increased that to ten talents total, and then the one who received two and doubled it to four. And just so that we're all on the same page, we're going to review what a talent is. A talent, in biblical terms, is 15 years' worth of a laborer's wage. So using my annual salary of $15,000 times 15 years, that would be like handing someone three quarters of a million dollars, which no one has yet to do to me. But there's always tomorrow, and so this servant is entrusted with $750,000, and he promptly takes it and buries it in the ground. And then I think to myself, well, I hope that when it came time to settle the accounts when the master returned, that he at least dug it up and brushed it off or cleaned it or washed it or whatever, because you know it's been filthy under there got worms and all that kind of stuff. And instead, the master is not thrilled with the results here. The first two servants were very different. These two slaves were each entrusted with massive amounts of money, and they applied their gifts and their ability, and they were able to double what they had. And the master didn't compare the two, didn't say to the one who had doubled his two to four, oh, look, the one who was given five brought me back ten. You should have brought back ten. Instead, they received the same response. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. But our last slave, who was entrusted with one talent, has failed to do anything with the talent. Instead, out of fear, the text says he was afraid. He buried it in the ground. And the master said, look, if I wanted to bury it in the ground, I could have done that. At least you could have given it to the bankers, and then I would have gotten some interest. Instead, you buried it in the ground. It's ridiculous. If you're going to get handed three-quarters of a million dollars, please don't bury it in the ground. Invest it in a bank account with the United Methodist Federal Credit Union. <laughs> or something of the like. Don't bury it in the ground. You know, when you think of, you think of burying things in the ground, and I always think about squirrels. And in Virginia, we have a plethora of squirrels. And those kinds of squirrels that we have here, there are many varieties, but the ones that we have here are big fans of acorns. They love oak trees. And so you get to watch them. They're quite amazing animals. They can be very annoying if you're a bird lover and you're trying to keep bird seed in a feeder. However, I am not one of those people, and so I enjoy squirrel shenanigans. And I watch them, and they gather up their nuts, and then they go over, and they have a cache, and they open up the ground, and they bury the nuts there, and then they cover them back up, and then they go gather more nuts, and they go to a different cache. They have multiple caches. But as I was researching about squirrels, I learned that squirrels are not as exactly as successful as you would think they are. They're very industrious, but they're not very successful because up to half of what they bury, they will never get up to... 25% of what a squirrel buries, another squirrel will find and eat. They're not really good about remembering 
who has what where. And so as they're smelling out a cache, they'll come to it and be like, oh, these must be mine, and they'll eat some, and then they'll cover back up and go around and find more. So they're, they're cross-pollinating their food bank. And the other thing is that sometimes they completely forget where they are buried, and so they grow oak trees. So if you have a lot of squirrels, you'll see a lot of saplings growing up and seedlings and that sort of thing. And so they're only somewhat successful. However, if you bury a talent in the ground, it will not sprout a bank. So we cannot exactly think about life like squirrels. Instead, we have to be very intentional. Right? The squirrel has a pattern of behavior. Sometimes it is fruitful for others, sometimes it is fruitful for the squirrel, and sometimes it is fruitful in growing trees. However, for human beings, if you simply bury something in the ground, that's it. It's not going to be as fruitful when we're talking about the kinds of talents and gifts and resources that God entrusts into our hands. And I think it's important to realize that when Jesus is talking about the third slave, he mentions how the slave speaks to the master. He says to him, you are harsh. You are able to do things that don't involve other people. You can reap where you do not sow, and you can gather where you haven't scattered seed. God, being omnipotent and all-powerful, is able to do things and make things out of nothing, yes? So God doesn't necessarily need us, but God doesn't give us gifts and graces, time and talent and resources just for God's sake. Those things are given for all. They are entrusted into our care so that we can build the kingdom. We can help those who are in need here, in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, in our community, and well beyond those borders. And so God has given us these things, and if we choose to squander them on ourselves or on our select few, then we are doing a disservice to the one who has given us things that we have not necessarily always sown nor scattered. Also, that fear. I was afraid of you. We're called continuously throughout Scripture to have a healthy, respectful fear of God. You should respect somebody who can look into your heart and see all of your inner desires. Someone who can look in your head and see what you're thinking. Some of us don't have a good game face, and you can tell what we're thinking. But God always knows what you're thinking. God knows what you have done and what you haven't done. And so it is a good and rightful thing that you should have a healthy respect of that. But we don't live in terror of God. We are not called to live in terror of God. In fact, we are called to love God, to allow God to pour out love on us, to forgive us, to grant us grace. And if we are going to be so afraid that we will be incapacitated and paralyzed, then we are failing. And it's easy to do. Have you ever been so afraid that you couldn't move forward, you couldn't move back, you were just stuck where you were. And that could be figurative or literal, but it happens to us. I'll never forget the time when I felt like that. It was right as I was getting ready to graduate from William and Mary and I was applying to go to seminaries and finally had accepted my call to ministry and I was ready to get the job done. And so I started applying and I applied to Duke because everybody applies to Duke. It's Duke. And I applied to Wesley in D.C. because that was near my parents. And I applied to Drew in New Jersey because that was near my ex-husband's family. And so we had applied to these schools, but everybody knew we were just waiting to hear from Duke. 
So I had applied for early admission, and the letter came in November, and it said something about waitlisted. What is this waitlist garbage? I've never been waitlisted. Up until that point, and actually any point thereafter, anytime I interviewed for a job, I got it. Anytime I applied for something, it was mine. So what is this waitlisted thing? I'm like, all right, okay, maybe this is one of those humility things I read about. Let's try this. So I'm waiting around, and I'm waiting around, and I knew that the final decision would come in February. And in February, I got a very small envelope that said, rejected. Excuse me? No, 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 no. I had a great GPA. I had impeccable references. Both of my references were Duke Divinity School graduates. What do you mean rejected? And at first, I wasn't even angry. I was more upset. I was hurt. I was scared. I was afraid. Maybe I got this whole thing wrong, that running from the call thing. Maybe I was running from something that was never mine. This whole idea that I was supposed to be a pastor and I had even lived in New Jersey in the wilderness for a year. What is this? And I'm thinking, I have completely messed up my entire life. I now have a religious studies degree in non-Christian religion, and I'm not going to get very much for that. So what have I done? And I was terrified that I had misinterpreted what God wanted, that I had failed to read things correctly, that I had not discerned. And I thought to myself, everything I have been doing for the last four years has been a sham. I have messed up royally, and I don't even know where you, where do you go with that? Hi, I know a lot about Taoism. What do you do? I was really afraid, and it was a dark time for me. And no one could bring me out of it. Because if Duke didn't want me, I was worthless. I, I, trust me, I understand how that sounds now. But at the time, it sounded very authentic. And I was afraid. I was afraid that I had messed this up. Why can't they see my call? Why can't they see that this is where I'm supposed to go? All the good clergy go to Duke. And so how can I be good clergy if I didn't go to Duke? The bishops all come from Duke. All of our best and our brightest, they come from Duke. It's not true. It's not true. Because here's what I can tell you. It doesn't matter what seminary you go to. It doesn't matter. You can go to the best seminary. You can go to Harvard. You can go to Yale for Divinity School. You can go to Duke, and you can still come out and be crappy clergy. You can go to a crappy seminary and come out and be the second coming of Mother Teresa. Because what is important is what you do with the gifts God gives you. It's not about where your master's in divinity comes from. Instead, it's about where you put your heart, where you put your energy, the excellence to which you strive, the fact that you seek to grow every single day. So you can go to Duke and you can be crappy clergy. That's not a comment on Duke. I didn't go to Duke. Instead... What happened was I, I found myself just floundering for like an entire month, just going, there is something so wrong with me. I don't even know, I don't even know what I'm going to do anymore. Who is going to want this? I obviously have overestimated the, my value as clergy. And my mom was trying to help me, and she's like, no, that's not it. It'll be fine. I don't know what's going on. God will figure this out. And I'm like, mom, what do you know? And so what ended up happening was one day, I get an envelope from Drew, and I'm like, who cares? And I threw it on my desk, and then one night while I was writing my second 10-page paper that was due the next day, 
I happened to pick it up on one of those brief little interlude breaks, and I opened it up, and it said, we would love to welcome you to Drew Theological School. Oh, and by the way, here's a full scholarship. It wasn't Duke. But it wasn't supposed to be Duke. You know, when God... When God shuts a door or when life shuts a door, I was saying to myself, God, you better open up a window. I need a backup plan. <laughs> and so God did because I needed to go to New Jersey. I don't know why. We'll talk about that when I get there into heaven. But I had to go back to the place where I had fled from my call. I had to go back there, and for three years, I needed to hear things. I needed to see things. I needed to experience things that I would not experience at Duke or any other seminary. I needed to go to another jurisdictional conference and experience how they were doing things in an atrophying church and discover that I had to draw a line. We will not be that way. We will infuse everything we do with the Holy Spirit. We will keep our faithful foundation. We will not only read our scripture, but we will apply our scripture. I needed to see that. I needed to be there. I needed to define my voice so that when people would have an entire dialogue and never once mention scripture, little old Sarah from Virginia would be like, I think it says something about this in the Bible. Maybe. It was important that I find my voice. And I did. I found it, and I cultivated it, and at the end of it, I was like, God, I'm grabbing this diploma, and I'm literally moving. Literally. I went home and got in the truck, and we moved. It was, it was one of those moments where it was like, I don't know why you brought me back here. We're going to talk about it. But I am here because you have sent me here, and I am putting all my faith in you, God, that if I follow, you will bring me home. If I follow you, you will take me where I need to be, and in safety, I will come home. And that is biblical. We live our lives every single day as Christian disciples because we have the faith that no matter what happens, no matter how the trials go, no matter what kind of obstacles come in our path, and no matter where from which they come, God will lead us safely home. And not a home that is made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. And so we strive and we struggle and we pay very careful attention to whatever it is that God has placed in our hands. Whether it is a happy talent for finances, or whether it is gifts and graces, whether we are a carpenter or a singer, or whether we have the ability to grow things no matter where we scatter seed, whatever it is that God has given to us uniquely, we use it for the kingdom because this is the command that the master gave the slaves. I give you these talents. They are mine, and I have given them to you, and I want you to use them. Put your effort in. So that when we find ourselves going, you know, I've suddenly been blessed with a couple hours on a Friday night. Oh, the third Friday in the month, I could go do some box packing so that people can be fed on the Saturday distribution of our food pantry. So that we say to ourselves, you know, I happen to have a little bit of extra money that has come into my hands. And so now I can put it towards helping two teenagers in Belize actually go to high school. 
Whatever it is that God has given us, if we are willing to put it to work for the kingdom, then God will multiply our talents. That is the parable. That is the lesson. That if we are willing to put ourselves on the line and go all in, that God will not only multiply, God will double what we have. And maybe more. Because to the one who was given five talents, who made it ten, the master looked at the servant who came back having buried his one talent and said, give it to the one with ten. If you will squander it, then I will bless him. Because he will do what is right. So he did. To those who had been given and those who had given all of themselves, the blessings kept coming. And that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves sometimes as disciples. I moved home with my parents after I fled from my call just so I could do what I was supposed to do. That's not fun when you're 20. That's not fun when your sister who's 11 is like, you suck and why are you here? I was eating humble pie for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and fourth dinner. But it was all worth it. Because this is who I am. This is what I was supposed to do. But if I had let that fear, that incapacitating, paralyzing, deep within the core of my being, shredding all that I am in my identity fear, stop me, I wouldn't be here. I mean, you could have somebody else better here, I don't know, but we're just going to go with no. <laughs> that I'm supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here. And as much as I love looking at you, there are blanks here. There are people who are supposed to be here. And our work, our willingness to go all in, is what will help us to yield. So that if we are faithful, if we keep with what God has given us, if we invest it and we utilize it in missions and ministries, then God will reap and will gather where God has not sown. And there will be people in these pews. And they will be in the pews, and they will be serving beside you in the food pantry, and they will be helping you, and they will be gathered beside you at fellowship time. They will be worshiping shoulder to shoulder with you. And the world will truly be transformed. This is why we do what we do. Because I don't know if you want to go with weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've done that. That's miserable. And it's not good for your dental work. Instead, can we all agree that we want to go home. This is not the end of the line for us. There are even bigger and better things that God has planned. But we have work to do. And if we're willing to be invested, then God is paving the way for us to enter into the home. And that is the promise of the gospel. That for those who are faithful and those who believe and those who do the work of kingdom building, the kingdom shall be yours. That is God's will in God's way, and it is for you. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.